Uh, let's take our scriptures and turn, if you will, to Peter's second epistle. Peter's second epistle tonight in verse number 15. <laughs> Sweetheart, I have left my Bible on my desk. So <laughs> it's helpful to have and everything, amen? I guess I can get my phone out over here and everything. I'm just not one of those guys, you know. Luke does good with the iPad and everything, and you know, and does the Bible up there, you know, and everything. So no, mine's on my desk. There it is. So Second Peter three fifteen tonight. Uh, we've been learning a lot about uh, in this particular passage here tonight about growing in our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what God. Uh, commands of us. That's what God wants of all of us to, to grow. It says there at the last verse, uh, I do know that verse, I've had it memorized, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior uh, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So uh, that is the thrust of our Christian life. We are to be growing. We're to be maturing. Uh, we're to be uh, growing closer and being closer to Christ. Thank you, sweetheart. Even have it turned to the passage there. Man, this doesn't get much better. So, uh, But we've been learning this, and this is something that all of us uh, need to strive in our Christian walk in life to do. Uh, there is no place in our Christian walk and in our life where we can say, uh, I have attained, I'm done, I'm over, uh, I don't need to grow anymore. Uh, I, I'm good to go and everything. Uh, no, uh, that's why, you know, Brother Blue still comes, you know what I mean? To, to, I believe it's in his heart. He still has a desire to grow. He's still reading his Bible uh, every day. And so uh, a desire to grow. And may we all have that desire to grow till the end of our lives, amen, uh, till we leave this world. Uh, and there's times in our life whenever you it's like whenever you cut down a, um, a tree, uh, a fairly large tree, one that, where you can see the rings in it, uh, you can see there's years where there was, uh, there was great growth. There was, uh, there was years where the, where the rings are far apart, but there's some years where the, where the rings are very close together. And, and so I believe it is in your life and in my life. It seems like some years we just kind of grow by leaps and bounds. We grow like children. And, uh, but other times it may be uh, that our, the rings are close together. There doesn't seem to be maybe a, a lot of growth in our life. Um, that could be a variety of reasons. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to discuss those, but uh, I think the main point in all of that is that we grow, that we grow. Uh, no matter if it's little or if it's a lot, uh, we ought to be Growing in our faith with Jesus Christ. For 2 Peter 3 in verse number 15, let's notice what he says here. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. We saw that on Sunday night. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, the, of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they also do the other scriptures under their own destruction. 
Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we've seen already two key points that Peter points out for us in this latter part of the chapter that are just undeniably uh, necessary for us to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. One of those is a faithful look. A faithful look. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes that Jesus is coming again. That that needs to always be on the forefront of our minds. It needs to uh, somehow implant it in our hearts that Christ is coming again. Uh, We need to look forward to this. That will help you to grow. It will help you to uh, grow in your faith in telling others about Jesus Christ. It will help you grow in your faith to be uh, more holy in your conversation. As he says in verse number 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. Uh, this should propel us forward to serve God, to live for the Lord, to live godly, righteously in this present world that God has put us in. Secondly, In order to mature in our faith, we needed to make sure that we have an extraordinary amount of long-suffering. Long-suffering. We mentioned this on Sunday night, that long-suffering is so key in our growth with Jesus Christ. He points it out two different times in this particular passage here in verse number 9 in that famous passage, 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. He also tells us there in verse number 15, as I just read to you, that we ought to account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. It is salvation. The reason you and I are saved tonight is because of the long-suffering of God. There's one of the many reasons, but it is a reason to why you are saved. Uh, God was long-suffering with you uh, up to the point where you got saved. I mean, could have God, what if God would have said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm through with this fellow. I'm through with this woman. I'm done with them. Um, what, if, what if God had determined in His ultimate will that He was going to come back before you got saved? I'm just, the long-suffering of God is just an amazing thing. And that ought to propel us forward, too. It ought to help us to grow uh, in a number of ways. Number one, it ought to help us to grow in this, of just being thankful and grateful to God that He was long-suffering. Amen? I mean, have you ever said, Lord, thank you that you're long-suffering? Well, let's just try it tonight. All right, all together, are you ready? Lord, thank you that you're long-suffering. Let's try it. Are you ready? Lord, Thank you that you're long-suffering. You know, we ought to tell God that. Uh, We ought to uh, tell others that. We ought to let them know that that the reason you're still here, maybe you can say it and find another, a kinder way to say it, but in a roundabout way, hey, the reason you're still here, the reason you're still walking upon the face of this earth is because of God's long-suffering. God is being long-suffering with you. He loves you. He's being merciful with you. And then also, it ought to help us to grow in this, in this way, is that we learn to grow in this particular department 
because this is the way that Jesus was. Jesus was long-suffering. He was long-suffering with the disciples. He was long-suffering with the crowds. He was wrong. I mean, just think about the crowds for a moment. Do any of y'all, is anybody here does not handle crowds well? I've heard people talk like that. I don't handle crowds well. Uh, I don't like long lines, maybe you say. Uh, uh, you know, you refuse to stand in line. You refuse to go to Six Flags, you know. You're not standing in those lines, you know. Uh, but here's the thing. Can you imagine Christ? People thronging him all around him, touching him. Some people don't like to be touched, you know. Some of you are germaphobics. Don't, don't touch me, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, he didn't have just this unclean people, people touching him. He had literally unclean people touching him, you know. People with diseases, people that were stinky, people that were dirty, all around him. He was long-suffering, and he was long-suffering to the Pharisees. May we learn such an attitude too, right? That we have a long-suffering heart. And we all need to learn that more and more. But we see our final point tonight is this, is that we all need to have some wise learning, some wise learning. We all could use a little bit more, a little bit more wisdom. Amen? James says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. I sometimes leave off the end of that verse, but I shouldn't ever leave it off. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, right? Nothing wavering. Do you need wisdom? We all need wisdom. We need wisdom on different areas and aspects of our life, but where are you going to find that wisdom? Where are you going to find a wise learning at? Where are you going to find it right here in the Scriptures? And I think that's very interesting to us because he says in verse number 15, he says, Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto, unto him, hath written unto you the wisdom. What is this wisdom that, was, that he's talking about? Well, it's this wisdom that was written unto you. Graphe is the word there. What does that mean? It means to write it down, uh, to scribe it out. What is he talking about? Well, he tells us what he's talking about in verse number 16. As also in all his epistles, his epistles, the word of God. Wisdom is found in the Word of God, not in psychology, not in uh, some kind of feel-good message. Wisdom is found in the Scriptures. The old black and white, all right? This is where wisdom is. It's nothing fancy. People are always looking for something fancy, something new, something newfangled, right? I don't know who came up, I think my mom used to say that word, newfang, newfangled thing, you know. Uh, nothing newfangled here. Nothing new. This is the Word of God, and it's been around for quite some time, and it's just as good today as it was uh, back when it was written. Back when Paul was writing to uh, those people that he was writing to, to the Romans, the Colossians, and to the Philippians, and to the rest of those folks, is that Paul's writings in front of us here tonight, or the Peter's writings that he's talking about, Paul's writings, are just as good for us to now as they, as they were then. They are Scripture. 
So how are we going to learn to continue to grow in Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ without the Scriptures? You're never going to grow in both grace and in knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ without the Bible. You won't do it. It's impossible. Well, you know, I just kind of find... Uh, my inspiration in the woods, some people say. I find my inspiration doing this. Well, you may find a lot of inspiration in a lot of different things, but you'll never find grace and knowledge in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unless you look in the Bible. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And you've got to find it yourself, too. You've got to get in it there yourself. You know, there's, there is nothing... There is, there, it, is, it is better when you find the nugget yourself than when somebody, than there's somebody else to find it for you. It's better when you find the nugget yourself. Open up your Bible. Read it. Read your Bible. Read the epistles. Understand them. Comprehend them. Get into them. Study them. Don't be satisfied with preaching once or twice or three times a week. No, Find wisdom in God's holy word. God used these people to write for us His words, to give to us His wisdom. Go back to your Old Testament. God gave, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, but God gave uh, Baziel the wisdom to build the tabernacle. And Ahinoam, I think is his name. I can't remember how he said it. He gave Solomon the wisdom to run the kingdom and to build the temple. He gave Daniel wisdom to interpret dreams. He gave the apostles wisdom to dispute with men. And according to the apostle Peter, he gave Paul wisdom to write the epistles. Now, statistically speaking, Luke has written the majority of the New Testament. All right, he wrote Luke and Acts. All right, if any of you read your Bibles through this year or your New Testament this year, you might have gotten to Luke and you realize that I think it's somewhere around, I don't know, 8, 9, 7, somewhere around in that middle, that, that, that first part right there. I mean, it's like chapter number, it's like chapter 7 is like 70 verses. The next one is like 60 verses. The next one's like 80 verses. I mean, I mean, he just keeps writing and writing and writing. Uh, statistically speaking, uh, he wrote a greater volume, but nobody in the New Testament contributed more to the New Testament local church than the Apostle Paul. God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty and in the way that he wanted to do things allowed for Paul to give us the majority of our teachings that are found here in the local New Testament church. Now, of course, we have the Gospels, but I'm speaking directly about the local New Testament church. He determined that Paul should write about these things. And so we should determine in our minds to study these things, to look to these things, to say, you know what, I want to find out what it means to be a Christian. Well, you know what you need to do? Start in Romans. Read down through there. Go find yourself in the, the epistles of Paul because God in His great grace and wisdom chose him, this man, to write these things down for us. He gave Paul the wisdom to write the words of the epistles to the church so that we may learn how to live and conduct our lives in this world so that we may learn how to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just think about it for a moment. 
What do you know and what do you learn from the New Testament epistles? What do you learn from them? You learn the doctrine of sin, Romans 3 through 6. Or excuse me, Romans 1 through 3. You learn the doctrine of salvation, Romans, well, it's basically Romans 3.22 all the way to Romans chapter number 6. The doctrine of the resurrection. Where are you going to find the doctrine of the resurrection? If you say, I need to know what it means to be about the resurrection, turn to where are you going to go to? 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. That's where you're going to go. What about husband and wife? Where are you going to go? Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Colossians also speaks of it. The doctrine of assurance of salvation, Hebrews 4, and a host of others. The doctrine of faith. Well, where are you going to find about faith at? Hebrews what? 11. <laughs> Hebrews 11. And who did, who did God use these? God, what about things to come? First and Second Thessalonians. What's First and Second? You know that every single chapter in First and Second Thessalonians mentions the return of the Lord. Something about the return of the Lord in every single chapter. There is something to be said about that. What about teaching on forgiveness? Where are you going to find some teaching on forgiveness? Maybe Ephesians 4.32, maybe. Be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But you know where a better place might be to turn? What about the little chapter of Philemon? The whole entire epistle to Philemon is about forgiveness. That's what it's about. It's the whole thing. Teachings on the Spirit of God, Galatians 5, Romans 8. Teachings on the devil, Ephesians 6, 2 Corinthians 2. You're going to find teachings on him there. What about the, the armor of God? What you need to be having, Ephesians 6 again. What about teachings on the church, 1 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and uh, Titus. What about teachings on the pastor? What are you going to, what is a pastor supposed to do? 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus again. What about Christ is better than Hebrews? What about joy, Philippians? What about true wisdom, Colossians? I, I mean, there they are. I mean, I'm just giving to you a, a sampling of what you can find in the New Testament epistles. He says it in verse number 15. Paul also, according to the wisdom hath given unto you, hath written unto you also in all his epistles. God has given to him this great wisdom to write these things. We are fools to not ever read it. That's strong language. I understand that. But we are. We are fools to never read these things. If we claim to be Christians, we claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, then we should be finding ourselves in the New Testament epistles. Sometimes, somewhere, some way, somehow. You say, well, I'm reading in Genesis right now. That's fine. But make sure you find yourself over to the New Testament epistles sometimes. Because this is what, this is where we're at at this very moment, if you will. Nothing's changed. We're in this spot here. We are in the church. We're not Jews. We're not Judea. We're not, we're not in Judea. We're not going back to. Jerusalem and offering the Passover lamb. We're not doing those things. We're not Abraham traveling here and there, not knowing, uh, going to a promised land called Canaan. We're not doing that. We're not Noah, you know, building boats. It's not who we are. Who are we? We're the church of the living God. That's who we are. 
We should accept that and believe that and believe it. It's found, the instructions for us are found in these New Testament epistles. But what also is astounding is this. Go back here to your passage again. Is that he says here at the beginning of verse number 16, notice what he says. I'm going to skip over some verse because I want to turn to it just a moment. But he says, this same wisdom as he written unto you, also, as also in all his epistles. Now, go if you will to the end of the verse. He says, He's talking about some people, they rest these things, they pervert, his, they pervert his epistles, as they do also, what does it say? The other scriptures unto their own destruction. They're, uh, the other scriptures. You know, some people would say that Peter and Paul were at odds. Some people say that well, Peter's writings and Paul's writings and James' writings, they, they don't match up. They don't line up. They're kind of at odds. They're kind of at variance. But you know what? It's interesting. If you read those same exact people that say that, will also say that Peter and Paul were also at variance and contradicted the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his writings, what he said. The critics always are going to try to put Paul's and Peter's and James and the rest of them, their writings down on earthly, earthly levels. And critics are never going to believe the, in the veracity, the infallibility, and the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. They're not going to believe that. Somebody just asked me the other day. They said, how do you know that this is that this is God's Word. You know the very first thing that you answer to something like that is this. Faith. You don't try to prove it to them. You don't. You say faith. I believe it by faith. They say, well, that's stupid. If they're sitting down, they say, say to them, well, did you inspect that chair before you sat down? I've never seen you try to tighten up a bolt on that chair. Did you go out to your car this morning and make sure that it was going to start? Did you, did you open the hood? Did you, check the, did you stick something down in the tank to make sure that the gas level matched what, was on the, what matched what was on the dial? Did you do all of that this morning? No, you didn't do any of that. No, you didn't do any of those kinds of things. You, people are always, they're, they are so, they're faithful in so many other things, but they'll look at you and say you're such an idiot for believing that, that, this, is, that this is faithful. But yet, they'll get an instruction manual from Ikea and try to follow it to the T. Why? Because they believe the person that wrote the instruction manual. Well, you know what? You just tell them, I believe the person that wrote the instruction manual. His name's God. He's a lot smarter than anybody at Ikea. All right? Just read those instruction manuals. (laughs) Anyhow. One person said Ikea means it takes eight hours to put together. Uh, But we see here in this passage that he's telling us, he's saying that Peter's letting us know that that Paul's writings are, are on par with the Scriptures. In fact, he even says this in verse number 15. He says, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom hath given unto you, hath written unto you. What is he what is he saying here? Paul or Peter has pleasant words about this person named Paul. He calls him the beloved brother. Uh, That's amazing in consideration what happened back in Galatians chapter number 2 that him and Peter had a uh, all-out face-to-face argument, if you will. And Paul had to put him in his place. 
It was an all-out face-to-face duel in front of each other and in front of everybody else. No doubt Peter was probably embarrassed because of the whole situation and ordeal. But even with all of that behind them, he's his beloved brother, Paul. But as I said, he doesn't even just praise him for the wisdom. He takes it a step further and he says that Paul, that Peter's, or excuse me, that Paul's writings are on the same level as the other scriptures. Did y'all catch that when I read it? He says it right there. He says they do rest the scriptures as they do also the other scriptures. Scriptures, the other scriptures. That is a remarkable statement for a Jew to say. Speak to a Jew today that is not converted to Christ, and they will not believe that the New Testament writings are the Scriptures, let alone the writings of Paul. But here is a Jew that says the Old Testament Scriptures, they arrest, they they pervert those. They twist and contort those. And he's saying... They also twist and contort these scriptures of Paul's. They were on level, on par. So, always remember that. When you read your Bible, yes, the Old Testament is inspired. Yes, the words in red are inspired. Yes, the Gospels are inspired. But don't ever think to yourself when you get past John 21 that all of a sudden it's just open game and that you can just kind of do whatever you want to do with the Scriptures. A lot of people have done that. There's a lot of translations out there that have done that. I try to stay real true to a lot of the Old Testament things. They slack a little bit maybe in the Gospels, but man... And whenever you get to Romans, it's just a field day. Romans to Revelation, man, I, I can just kind of do whatever I want to. Because what is it? It's, they believe it's this. They believe that God has stopped, stopped giving men word-for-word translation, but He's given to Him a, from, the mind of man to the mind of, from the mind of God to the mind of man. It's thought translation. Thought translation. Well... What was Paul really thinking right here when he said dot, 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 dot? Well, what he was really thinking was, and then they translate it that way. That's thought for thought. I don't want thought for thought. I don't want another man's thoughts. I don't want mind of man to, mind of God to mind of man to my mind, okay? I don't want that. I want the inspiration of God to the hand of man, writing down. And then praise God, some godly, wise people finding some ability, having given God-given abilities to be able to translate word for word. Word for word. What does this mean? I don't need somebody's commentary in my Bible. We don't need, we've got the written word of God. That's what's so special about it. That's what's so amazing about it. And then, don't listen to those people that I just described to you that try to twist and to contort the Scriptures. Uh, don't go around listening to every YouTube hotshot. Amen? 
Don't get mixed up into people that all they want to do is argue or debate. Don't listen to people that want to take the Bible out of context to make it to mean something that it doesn't mean. Or to make you to show that there's some kind of hidden or secret meaning behind these things. Or to try to make you believe anything that takes Jesus out of the equation. Or anything that lifts up ideologues and attitudes and men and women and people that are contrary to the Word of God. That's how you grow. You listen to the Word of God, and then you don't listen to those that are trying to twist and to contort the Word to make it to say what they want it to say. That is another issue with many of the modern translations that are out there. And one of the worst is, and I'm not just saying this, I'm not just saying this because I'm opinionated on this matter. I say this, out of, I say this because I've studied it out myself is that the NIV is just, as my Greek teacher used to say, it's a bad text and a bad translation. <laughs> and it is. The translation work is, is shoddy. The non-inspired version, yeah. It, it's shoddy at best. I'm just telling you, you need to be careful with what Bible you're picking up. See that. Realize that. Get in there. Figure it out. Why does it say it like this? And why does this one say it like that? And don't be listening to those that are just trying to contort it, twist it, to say it to their own things, to their own meanings. Paul speaks of these people in Ephesians 4.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Second Peter even says it, or Peter even says it himself here in Second Peter two in verse number one. But they are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought that bought them, and bringing upon themselves swift destructions. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. I, just You've got to be careful who you're listening to. Jesus describes this like this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. So uh, I'm just saying tonight that we be careful in who we listen to. Who are you listening to? What preacher? What, uh, what's, what, what, who, are you, who are you reading? There are people out there that are going to try to pervert it. Now, he says to us in verse 17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before. I always like it when I read that right there because it lets me know that if I preach something again, I don't have to feel bad about it. Because Peter preached, he says, you know these things before. I've told you this already, all right? But listen what he says. I'm going to tell you again. Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That does not mean you lose your salvation. All right? What that does mean is this, is that you stop following as you should follow. 
You fall from the steadfastness that you're in right now, the faithfulness that you're in right now. If you get tangled up in some kind of perverted gospel, some kind of perverted teaching out there, that's what that's going to do. That's going to stunt your growth. That's going to hinder your growth. I knew of a man once that uh, fell into this trap of believing that Jesus was coming again on this particular day. A good, solid Christian. Okay, I'm talking about a man that knew his Bible. He knew better. But he got sucked into this teaching. And guess what? Guess what? It came and went. That's right. That's right. It came and it went. I think I saw a billboard not too long ago that said, Jesus is coming in 2062 or something like that. I thought, man, that guy right there, he just predicted it, you know, just so he could be dead and gone, you know what I mean, and make, keep making his money. But uh, he thought he got sucked into this thing. And I remember talking to him about it after it had all happened, and he said, Matthew, he said, he said, I just beat myself up over that so much for so long. He said, it took me forever to ever even darken a church door again. I was so ashamed. I was so down. I was so beaten down because I had been sucked into this false teaching. It discouraged him. And so we need to be careful about the errors that the wicked are teaching out there. And there's lots of errors out there. Lest we fall from our own steadfastness. But also we need to be careful that we ourselves never rest or pervert the Scriptures. One of the most awful ways of perverting the Scriptures is when somebody says, well, David was an adulterer. Jacob was guilty of deceit. Peter had a lying oath. And they turned out to be okay, man. Never use the Scriptures that way, my friend. That's a faulty way. That's a perverted way to use the Scriptures. Never one time ever uh, try to use the Scriptures in this way in order to just a justification of not doing your best for other souls. Never use the Scriptures to say, you know what, well, I, you know, use this or use that passage. Say, well, I'm just too busy. I've got my family to worry about. Never use the Scriptures in such a way that it would hinder you to help other people in the Gospel. Never pervert the Scriptures in such a way that it would, it would make you or me or anybody else um, try to find some ingenious way Never use it to find some ingenious way uh, to adapt your own peculiar views. This happens on more than one occasion. Uh, we need to be careful with that. Maybe you've got a peculiar view. Maybe you've got some kind of view and somebody comes to you with a scripture that seems to contradict the view that you have. Never be so proud to say, well, you know, well, the Scriptures, I, I don't see it that way, and, da, 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 and try to explain it away. Listen to the Scriptures. Be humble enough to receive them. And don't be like Satan. We rest the Scriptures when we only use half of the verse. 
How many people have gotten in trouble only using half of a verse? Use the whole thing. Use the whole thing. Find the whole meaning behind it. Be careful with this, that we don't be the ones that are resting, perverting, twisting, and contorting the Scriptures. And let us see this finally. How can we guard against this? Number one, number one, the way to avoid this most of all, the way to avoid perverting the Scriptures, number one, is by praying to God that He would give you the correct meaning. Open mine eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I'm not always faithful in this, but I really try to pray that before I begin to open my Bible and read. Open mine eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Ask God to give you a direction. Number two, sense your own ignorance. Never come to the Scriptures proudly or as if you know everything, or as if I've read that before. Never do that. You'll pervert them. Again, it's a great point, but we always need to make sure that we study the Scriptures. And this is, this is so key. Study the Scriptures without prejudice. Without prejudice. Do you have a particular view on something? Never study it with that prejudice in mind. Make sure you come to the Word of God with an open mind every single time. Every time. Because if you're not careful, you'll read a verse like this. A friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. How many of you were in ladies' Bible study and heard that verse? You know what? That's not what the verse says, number one. But I came to that verse, and my wife and I were talking about it, but I had come to that verse with wrong eyes. I'd always thought that a brother was born for adversity. A brother is born to get you into trouble, right? Get underneath your skin. I even used to quote it to my kids. You know, well, Meredith, a brother is born for adversity, you know. Get used to it, you know what I mean? All right, Naomi, you got another one coming. Here he comes, you know, so get used to it. That's not what the verse says. A friend loveth at all times and, key word, but is contrast and is comparison. A friend loveth at all times and a brother is born. And if you want to supply the parentheses there, italics, however, in, for times of adversity. In times of adversity, a brother is born for the fact that one day you're going to face adversity and you'll need somebody that's as close as brotherhood to be there with you during something like that. Nobody will understand the loss of a mom or a dad more than a brother or a sister. Nobody. A friend won't understand that. A cousin won't. The only person that will understand that more is a brother or a sister. Even your own husband or wife won't feel it as hard as you feel it. A brother's born for adversity. Just one of those things. Study it with diligence. Study to show thyself approved unto God. And then listen to this last point. 
study it. This comes directly from a quote from somebody I read. Study it as a sinner searching for a Savior. I like that. Study it as a sinner searching for a Savior. Always find Jesus in the Bible. I tell young preachers that all the time. I say it's a great message. Maybe they'll even go over it with me. I say it's a great message. I say, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You've got to have Christ. You've got to. And if we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of who? The Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then we'll find rest, we'll find ourselves in His Word. This is Jesus' Word. It's not my Word. It's not some other man's Word. This is Christ's Word to us. That we may know how to follow Him in the ways that we ought to follow Him. That we listen to the Scriptures and we don't listen to those that do not follow Christ. And that we ourselves do not rest the Scriptures, pervert the Scriptures ourselves. And that we learn to always be looking in our Bibles for Christ. Looking for Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Look for Him. Look for Him. And may God help us all to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.